0: good morning it's good to be here this morning and I hope that uh, I hope that you've had a good week with the Lord and uh, that God has blessed you this week and, and uh, as his sovereign hand has been active uh, in your life. It is good to be here it is father 's day and uh, I think always um, I think it's true for most of us, if not all of us. We've had men in our lives that weren't necessarily our biological fathers, but were great mentors in our lives as well as our fathers. If you haven't called your father today, your biological father or someone who is a father to you have been, today would be a really good time or opportunity for you to call them and just thank them for loving you and having an impact on your life. I uh, <clears throat> just share with you briefly this pocket watch. Uh, it was given to my grandfather in 1916. He went to serve in World War One in 1917, but he was a telegrapher at a, um, well, like at a train depot, and uh, he had to keep time, and so he was given this. It's 100 years old and 104 years old, and I just barely up, uh, wound it up. Wound it up last Sunday. Uh, thinking that this Sunday morning I'd have to wind it up again. And uh, on the digital watch that is, you know, I, I guess those things are perfect, uh, it it had not lost one minute. It really had not. Pretty f- astounding. And so, but I thought of Father Day today, and as I thought of my father and my grandfather, I'm his namesake. I'm Aubrey L. Rogers third, and my grandfather was Aubrey Rogers Sr. My father's Aubrey Rogers Jr. So this has a special... Place for me. You'll enjoy it because it helps keep time for me as well. So, uh, anyway, just give thanks to your father today. Those men in your lives that uh, that God has used in your life to to mentor you and love you. I want to encourage you to pray for Dandy Ailey Wine. Continue to pray for him. April Smith. They did move her out of the hospital. They have an RV down there at the hospital, and so she's actually doing well. In um, but shes they're staying in the RV at the hospital and continuing all of her daily stuff as they're checking her and, and uh, helping rehab from her surgery. So always someone to be concerned for. Our kids came back from camp, and by all accounts, they had a good time. They're probably all of the ones that are here going to go to sleep, uh, And uh, no matter how short the sermon is. But uh, they were wore out. Mom's dad said they had a good week, and they were wore out. So uh, we're going to start this week, we're going to, this is part three of that message, the purpose of covenant or covenant, Christ has covenant. Uh, And this week we look at the purpose of covenant. I'm not going to go through the whole recap here, Uh, but I do want to read that Isaiah 42, Isaiah 42, verse six and seven. It's on your handout. It said, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. This is God speaking about Christ, his son. I will also, through the prophet Isaiah, I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. I will appoint you, Christ, his son, our savior. This is the father, the father of Christ, our father. I'll appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes. This is the purpose, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. And then you have the two passages out of Psalms 107, talked about that last week, identified. What is that? What is that? I mean, what is, what is that? Who is a prisoner? And I've recapped that briefly here. Who would fall under a category of prison or prisoner? Uh, there are two types of prison. There is the literal type that the Bible deals with, but then there is the spiritual And that really encompasses uh, more than, I don't know what the percentage of people have been in prison, but I do know that all of humanity, all of humanity, all of humanity has been a prisoner, a spiritual, intellectual, emotional prisoner. We just have. Uh, And and so what we need to do in, in light of this message this morning, I want to challenge you through scripture and the covenant, the covenant that God gives us as his son to overcome, to what? To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison, whether it's literal or physical. Um, I want you to ch- I hope, my prayer is this morning, that you are challenged to look specifically at yourself, see where you're at. Um, so uh, just moving forward, and re- there's a quick reminder I mentioned here on the handout, that an uh, offense and judgment, an offense and judgment always precedes a prison sentence. So in order for you and I to be a prisoner, an actual prisoner uh, in misery and darkness, uh, there has to, literally and even spiritually, there has to be an offense. And then there is a judgment. There's a judgment. Now, the judgment, the offense, is always Psalm 107, 10, 11. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains, right here, because they had rebelled. Now, this would go with the literal, the physical. You may not be aware of it, and there may be a lot of people in prison today throughout the world. They're not aware of it, but they're in prison because whether they're aware of it or not, we should be aware of it because they have rebelled against the Word of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Now, we're going to look at the first few verses in the 107th Psalm, beginning in verse 1. Psalm 107, beginning verse, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Now, the premise of this psalm, the introduction of this psalm, where this statement we just read about prisoners, if you go down there in verse 10 and 11, the offense, okay? Uh, but the premise of this, in light of man's rebellion against the word of God, spurning the counsel of the Most High, in light of that, this is a psalm of redemption. Now, I have another handout for you on redemption. We're going to review that. But let me just say something very quickly. Uh, so, Psalm 107 is a psalm of redemption what it is but I want to go back to this because here's something that scripture and this is where the examination comes from this is where the purpose of covenant the need of covenant self examination the offense the judgment uh, let me just say so if you're a Christian today and if I just make the statement that you're dwelling in darkness and misery because you've rebelled against the word of God or you spurned the counsel of the most high you would just Naturally, you could naturally think, well, then I guess every struggle that I'm involved or every struggle that's taking place in my life, I guess I'm rebelling against God's word. I'm spurning the counsel of the most high. So before we examine ourselves in light of the need of covenant and our offense and our judgment uh, that can lead to a spiritual imprisonment, literally as well, uh, I want to challenge, just go to Matthew chapter five, very quickly, Matthew chapter five. This will be the litmus test, spiritually, physically, emotionally, uh, intellectually, and even physically for you. So it's the Beatitudes, verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you, And say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets, God's prophets who were before you. So your struggle, whatever you may be going through, uh, your tribulation, your difficulty, here's something the Christians need to hear. Uh, There is a reality about Christianity. And one of the realities is if you're a Christian, you're going to be persecuted. You just are. Uh, Jesus teaches a parable in Matthew 13, and he, and he says there are those, who, he talks about the seed, and, and, and he tells the guy that's walking along and some seed falls beside the road. And then he explains that parable, he said that seed is the word of God. And there are those who receive the word of God with joy that seed that's fall, but a little trouble, just a little trouble. It says a little trouble comes along, and Satan takes that away. If you go to First Peter, you'll see that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So your persecution, if you're a Christian, you're going to be persecuted. Your struggle, your tribulation, it may not be rebelling against the Word of God. It may not be spurning the counsel of the Most High, but it will be Part of that, and this is where the self-examination, now identify, look at yourself. The scripture says, examine yourself. What's going on in my life? Why is there unrest? Why am I not at peace? Why is there this constant struggle? Why is it that I find myself praying and praying and praying and praying to God, but I'm not getting any relief? Well, it may be that you're rebelling against the word of God. It may be that you're spurning the counsel of the most high. But The reality is, if you're a Christian, you're going to receive persecution. You just are. Go with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This is one of those difficult passages. Before we look at redemption and uh, redemptive freedom, and I want us to just establish that Scripture established this. Uh, James chapter 1 verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lacking in nothing. So consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing you can be sure. But self-examination, the darkness that I'm dealing with, the struggle that I'm in, the misery that I'm feeling, is it because I'm rebelling against the Word of God or spurning the counsel of the Most High? Or is it because the persecution that comes with being a Christian as a result of spiritual warfare? Or is it something I can find joy in? As strange as that seems, where I can literally say, I understand what's happening here. I'm not rebelling against the counsel of I'm, the Word of God. I'm not spurning the counsel of of the most high. But God is doing something in my life. He's producing something in my life so that I can be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Go to 1st Peter. 1st Peter chapter 1 verse 6. 1 Peter chapter one verse six, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. That the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in one other passage, go to Ephesians chapter six. And then we'll move quickly into the lesson. But I, I just would say to you again that these passages should really move you and I to a place in our life where we're examining our lives. And we're really taking a good look at our life. Not casually stumbling through life as many Christians do. Uh, understanding the reality of spiritual warfare. Uh, understanding that as a Christian there was going to be persecution, understanding that God is He's doing something. The, the Scripture says that He is He's the Potter, we're the clay. We're the clay. I, I, one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament is where um, Joseph, years later, after everything had been done to him, sold into slavery, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. If you're familiar with the story. Spending 13 years in prison. And then years later, he could say those great words, what man intended for evil, God intended for good. We should examine our lives uh, daily. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, we're told in verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. So let me just say as we move into this lesson about this psalm of redemption, where Christ is established as the covenant, that it, it really should move you and I to examine ourselves daily. And we should be able to have an honest discussion with ourselves in light of what Scripture says. In light of the Holy Spirit that God has given us and dwells with us. And we should be able to say, what's going on with Aubrey? Is Aubrey rebelling against the Word of God? Is Aubrey spurning the counsel of the Most High? Well, that's where my misery is coming from. Or... Or do I see what's happening in my life as a result of persecution due to spiritual warfare and that God's perfect will is being worked out in my life and my life is not mine, it's his? Did you ever stop to think for a moment, one of the great things in spiritual warfare that Satan would love to see accomplished in in you and I is for you and I to actually believe our life is our life and our soul is our soul. Now you can stop and think about that. That's really the source of pride and selfishness. Your life and my life and the life of everybody that's ever been born, only by the will of God, exists and lives because that life is his. Your soul is not yours. it's his. You are uniquely you, but make no t- God owns the title to your soul. Jackson, is that truck yours or, or is it in your mom and dad's name, that beautiful black truck? Is that yours? It's yours? No, it's in his name. See, I was just guessing. <laughs> it's his truck. you using it, but it's his truck. Now, if you stop to think about your life daily, this isn't my life. Now, Satan wants me to believe. He wants me to believe. This is my life. No, it's not. You've been given life. Your life is his. This is my soul. No, it's not. He has the title of your soul. let me stop and just think about that for a minute. So now, when you go back to this lesson, Psalm 107 is a psalm of redemption. We read the passages. Now, Christ as covenant establishes something. Christ as covenant establishes, bring about, and fulfills redemptive freedom. Redemptive freedom freedom. Because if you and I, and we are, all you got to do is read the first three chapters of Romans, that there's no, there's not one of us that does good. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3 and 24. All of us, we're just sinners, lost, separate from God. Okay? We all need redemption. We all need redemptive freedom. Now, your struggle as a Christian may be one of four things. Examine yourself. But the reality is, at some point in your pre-christian and without christ oh you need a redeemer without christ you are literally physically intellectually emotionally spiritually in prison you may not think you are you may be running around the world that that really is a prison and you're just thinking that somehow you're running something and you may find moments of joy in your imprisonment. It's called the pleasures of sin. But you, you you're a prisoner. We and our prisoners without the redemptive freedom in the covenant of Christ. It's just the way it is. But if you're a Christian, then look at yourself and say, what's going on here? God's made a covenant. He's offered me redemption. And so there is redemptive freedom. Now go to Isaiah 59. This is the lesson this morning. Isaiah 59. 59. We could go a lot of places. Redemption, if you go to your handout, redemption has its roots, its beginnings, uh its foundation in the Bible. Now, I just gave you a few places uh redemption was uh, necessary uh it, it for God's people. Um it, it, there is a it, you know, it, it is to buy back or reap or repurchase or uh, it signifies a commercial transaction. Um, it's regulated by law. It's the legal way of uh, obtaining ownership and, consequently, legitimate uh, possession. In all these verses, there's many more. Um, and so it could be on the redemption of land, repurchasing land. There's a lot of a lot of theology here, but redemption, redemption is a biblical premise. God's people, His word uh, is based upon the the reality of redemption in every area of their life. Redemption of the land, redemption of a bond servant, the buying back, the redemption of the firstborn male, child in a Hebrew family, which would otherwise have to enter the priesthood. Read it. The verses are there. Uh, And then on, here's the most, here it is, on the singling out the people of Israel, God's people, Israel means the people of God that strive with God, from the nations of the earth to be God's elect race. A redemptive price had to be paid. You read about it in Exodus 30, 12 through 15, uh, on the ransom or atonement money which every Israelite was required to pay to the tabernacle. But listen here, read it. Its most elevated meaning the term has acquired is in connection with the work of Christ. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's a redemption of transgressions, That were committed under the first covenant. You read about it in Hebrews 9 and 15. That is under the covenant of the law into which God had entered with mankind at the creation. Through breaking that covenant by sin, men had become defaulters and forfeited life, liberty, happiness, and every blessing. They were, in a spiritual view, slaves under sin. All of humanity held captive under sin. One verse after another. By the righteous judge of all the earth. Genesis 18 and 25. Being hopelessly insolvent. Psalm 49.8. That means you you couldn't purchase redemption. You just could not purchase it. You don't have enough money. You just don't have enough. Hopelessly insolvent. Their liberation could be affected only by someone paying the ransom for them. The task was assumed by the Son of God, who is therefore represented throughout the Old Testament as the redeemer of the human race. By his incarnation, the Son of God took the place of the defaulters, that you and I, to redeem those who are under the law. The entire life of Christ, if you don't hear anything else this morning, the entire life, life of Christ has redemptive ransoming value particularly his innocent suffering and death. It is the price with which sinners were bought to be God's own possession or chosen race. The redemption of Christ is eternal, superior to all typical redemptions in the Old Testament and reclaiming once For all those who are lost. Now let's connect them quickly. Christ is covenant. 107th Psalm. It's a Psalm of redemption. To those prisoners who dwelt in misery and darkness. Because they'd rebelled against the word of God. And spurned the counsel of the most high. In the 59th chapter of Isaiah. Let's begin reading. Here's the lesson this morning. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Neither is his ear so dull dull that it cannot hear. Now, here it is, folks. Jesus told a great story about forgiveness. He said, those who are forgiven much love much. Those who are forgiven much love much. Those who are forgiven little are are not very thankful. Now that was a that was the Hebrew and Jesus coming out. It was actually facetious. Nobody's been forgiven little. No one. That's one of the great tenets in the Gospels and his the spiritual war that was taking place in physical and literal between the Pharisees and and Jesus. There were those people who actually. Believe, and there are today, that they've been forgiven little. So they're going to be, they'll be a little thankful. They'll they'll come to church occasionally and, give. you know, they'll do that. And and it might say grace conveniently. Because they really think they've been forgiven little. Maybe they don't even think about it. They just, you know, their life proves that out. And then there are those who've been forgiven much and they love much. God is love. So here's the root of the problem. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden hmm, his face from you so that he does not hear. Now, you ever been there in your life? Have you ever felt separated from God? Have you ever cried out and he, you just think, I don't think he hears me? Now, you can be sure if that's the case, if you examine yourself, it's not persecution because you're a Christian. It's not a trial that God is proofing and doing something, creating endurance in you. It's not a tribulation that you can find joy in. Now, it is a part of spiritual warfare, but the reality is you can know I'm rebelling against God. I am spurning the counsel of the Most High. This was written to God's people. When you examine yourself and you're in the pinnacle of a, a struggle in your life and there's no peace, ask yourself, And that's the hardest question in the world to answer because then if I'm going to find out, I got to go to scripture and scripture is brutally honest. And it brings us, it should always bring us to that sinner in Luke 18. Dear Lord, God Almighty, have mercy on me, a sinner. Not you, a sinner. Not you, a sinner. Not you, not not me, a sinner. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one sues righteously and no one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. Now, there's two things. I ex- well, You could go back to that list. I expect that from Satan. He's the father of all lies. His native tongue is deception, John in chapter 8. He's the accuser. His desire is to kill, steal, and destroy. I expect that from the unsaved. I should expect nothing else. If a person if it has not been saved by God and they're living in their flesh and you see it, all you got to do is turn on MSN or uh, uh, whatever it is, NBC or, or CNN or Fox or any news medium and, that you could just have access to and you see literally hands defiled with blood, fingers with iniquity, lips speaking falsehood, tongues muttering wickedness, suing, the, and, and, and no one sues righteously, and no one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. It's evident. But I expect that from the non-Christian. I expect that from the atheist. But this is a letter to God's people. If you remember how Isaiah started, they rebelled against God. They revolted against God. They abandoned God. Let's keep on reading. Drop down to verse 7. Their feet run to evil. Their feet run to evil. They hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. They do not know the way of peace. There is no justice in their tracks. They've made their paths crooked. Whoever treads on, treads on them shall not know peace. live in a world. In church, we've got, we got to have eyes that see. Young people, you've got to have eyes that see. Church members, preacher, we've got to have eyes that see. You can look out at what's going on around you and you can be troubled and you can be fearful and you can be overwhelmed and consumed with fear. But the reality is you ought to expect it. We ought to know it. We ought to see it. We shouldn't be surprised by it. We ought to examine ourselves. Now, I'm going to move all the way down to verse 15. We'll conclude here. Redemptive freedom, Christ is covenant. Examine yourself. and now, learn God. Learn God. To know God, you have to learn God. My opinion, one of the saddest verses in all the scripture is in Genesis six. The scripture says that God was sorry that he had made man because wickedness continually was in his heart. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. You know the story. You Noah know they are. But it's sad. It, God was sorry that he had made man. Now listen. Learn God. Redemptive covenant the contract, the agreement that God has so that you and I can convene with him in agreement irregardless of our sin, irregardless of where we're at. Now the Lord saw and it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice and he saw that there was no man and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him. And his righteousness is the father. This is the father talking about his son. Then his own arm brought salvation to him. And his righteousness upheld him. And he put on righteousness like a breastplate. We just read, you go back to Ephesians 6. Paul understood it. The apostle Paul who wrote Ephesians as a prisoner. And he wrote the Philippians, I've learned the secret to be content in every situation, with or without. To live as Christ and to die is gain. And he wrote the Ephesians about putting on spiritual armor. And he said, so he put on, he put on, Christ put on, the Son of God, garments of, uh, of, of vengeance for clothing. Wait, no. Uh, he put on a righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he puts on garments of vengeance for clothing. Do you understand something? You and I cannot accomplish Vengeance against iniquity, you know what vengeance is? You and I can't. we are iniquity i can't I can't wage a war avenging iniquity or sin. The armor that Paul is asking you and I to put on was the armor that christ himself Would bear and the war and the battle is the one that he would take. He became sin, is what the scripture says, so that he could take vengeance on sin, your sin and my sin. He paid the ransom. He he put this garments of vengeance for clothing. He wrapped himself with with zeal as a mantle, according to their deeds. So he'll repay wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the coastlands he'll make recompense. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. And he'll come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives and a redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression to Jacob declares the Lord. Listen, he came in the flesh. He came, he descended, he lived 33, 34 years, whatever, 30 plus years. And he came and he was clothed and he fought the battle and he wanted a calvary, and he did it with zeal. He's the son of God. He's the savior of you and I. This is what he did. This is the redemption that comes in Christ because of the covenant that God said he would establish through him. But listen to this. Listen to what he does. They'll fear the name of the Lord. Now, they've got a lot of people in this world right now that are mocking the name of the living God. But there will be a day where there will be absolute and total, complete humility. Every knee will bow, saved and unsaved. If you and I think that we know Christ, we only have a pale version of it. When the the clouds are open and he appears and that trumpet blows and the clouds open and he's before us and that lamb's book of life opens, whatever you thought you knew about him, you will know. And all of humanity and all of the creation and all the heavenly will know. And we will have fear and reverence and respect In adoration. And here's why. And a redeemer will come to Zion. That's nice. But it don't. Here's the problem with modern Christianity. Maybe with all of Christianity. They stop there. Redemptive freedom through the covenant of Christ, always requires this. And to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, Christ is risen. He's ascended into heaven. They saw it. He's sitting at the right hand of God as the judge and savior of all men. That's where he is today. And when Peter, Peter, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he finished that sermon. He said, men of Israel, be sure of one thing. This Jesus of Nazareth, you killed him. And then there were some, it seems like a lot. It was actually a very small percentage. Seems like a lot, but it wasn't very much. If you understood the crowd that assembled, he said, what must we do? They were pierced to the heart. God desires a broken heart in contrast. When they heard the preaching of God's word, Romans 10 and 17, consequently faith comes by hearing and hearing the story of Christ. When they heard that preached, they were pierced to the heart. Some of them, they said, what must we do? And he said, Believe in Jesus and ask him in your heart. No. You, no. You, you won't find those words in scripture as a response to the preaching of the redemptive freedom in Christ. The covenant redemptive freedom in Christ, which has the power and Paul would say in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for in it is the power to save. And so, so we're going to stop right here because here's the last thing, redemptive freedom. Here's what I want you to hear, church. He said on that day of Pentecost, he said, repent. Turn from your sin. Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And the Greek word is rightly because of the forgiveness of your sins. Your translation might read four, but it'd be, repent, repent, admit you're a sinner, be sorry that you're a sinner, turn from your sin, walk away from it, be united with Christ in baptism because of your sins and you'll be forgiven and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I don't do off altar calls. I will, I will say this because the Word of God is the altar call. But for years I would say to the congregation, and I'll say it this morning, uh, this is not an altar call, but I'll say this to you. It's the biblical call. If your heart has been pierced, and you're struggling in, in darkness and misery, and you don't say, you know, I have been. I'm, I'm not fulfilling what God's Word has as a spouse, a, a, a father, a parent, an employer, a citizen, a man, a woman, a, whoever in my life, I am rejecting God's word. I'm rebelling against it. I am spurning the counsel of the Most High. Maybe you don't know. You can find out. Ask the preacher. And you'd say, I don't want to live that way anymore in my saved or even unsaved state. and you, Your heart breaks. God has done a work in your life. And if... That's where you're at. Then I would say, Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father is doing in heaven. And, and, And you need to be buried with him in baptism. That's just what you do. So you need to know myself as a pastor here and the elders, if that's where you're at in your life, we always offer that to you. To the glory of God because of his redemptive freedom in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, thank you for loving us so much. That you would indeed offer your son as a sacrifice. Your arm. Your very arm, Father. In our battle, in our struggle against sin. Against ourselves, against our flesh. Father, help us not to be troubled by what's going on in the world today, but to be encouraged because through all of this tribulation, through all of it, your eternal covenant in your son and the redemptive freedom that you offer continues to remain available. Help us to understand it and help us to be your people people of the covenant who've been redeemed by your son. So, Father, we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.